Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of Prog Notes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to Rise Radiant by Caligula's Horse. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. We hope to educate and inspire all of you to uncover and learn about progressive rock music. There are a lot of great podcasts out there, so we're very honored that you're with us today. And we would love it if you would follow us on social media, that is Instagram, Facebook, or you can join us on our Discord chat server to talk with Drew and I, as well as many other fans of the show and Prog Rock. These links are all in the episode's description. And we always want to say thank you to all of our patrons for helping this show and these episodes happen. And you can become a patron at patreon.com slash prognotes to support the show in exchange for some great, fantastic benefits. What kind of benefits, Drew? Why don't you go ahead and tell them? I'm, I'm glad you asked, Dustin. Uh, if you enjoy listening to our show, you might be interested in becoming a pawn heart, which gives you access to our VIP channel and our Discord, and also being shamed by having the moniker Pawn Heart, one of the albums we hate the most, where you get special attention from me and Dustin. Uh, you can also get access to our episodes a week early. If you really like our show, become a watcher of the skies and get the video format of our shows and also a monthly call with me and Destin. So check it out all on the Patreon page. Rise Radiant is the fifth studio album by the Australian prog metal band Caligula's Horse, released May 22nd, 2020. The album features about 48 minutes of music across eight tracks, and the lineup of the band includes Jim Gray singing lead vocals, Sam Vallon playing lead guitar, Adrian Golby on guitar, and Dale Prince on bass, and Josh Griffin on drums. And we are very excited to be joined by the two founding members of the band, Jim and Sam. Welcome, guys. Good day, mate. Hi. Uh, it's the obligatory uh, welcome. It's good to be here, guys. Good day. <laughs> yeah, we got we got to break the ice somehow, right? Wonderful. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and uh, please just introduce yourselves to everybody listening and your role in the band for us. Sure. Um, so I'm Sam Fallon. I'm the, the lead guitarist, also one half of the, the, the normal songwriting team and uh, the producer of all of the records, too. I'm Jim Gray, and I'm not the producer. Uh, I am half, the other attitude. half of the songwriting, um, against all odds, and I'm the lead vocalist for the band Caligula's Horse. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. It was a great Wonderful. Fun, Wonderful. Doing well. We're very, we're very glad to pay to see you in your TED Talk today. So we're, we're super, yeah. super excited for that. <laughs> uh, this is this is the first album to feature your your new bassist Dale. Um, I was wondering if that changed the the writing or recording process, or maybe the whole atmosphere. You know, he's credited as an additional engineer, I, I think, on this and even some previous records. And I think you affectionately dubbed him the, the sixth member of, of the group. Uh, even before, you know, your previous bassist's departure. Uh, it kind of reminds me of George Martin and his role as the fifth Beatle, uh, the Beatles and everything. So uh, I was just wondering, did that did that change anything in Caligula's horse with that new element of a, of a new person? Yeah, I, I mean, it's worth pointing out that, you know, Dale has been a part of the organization since the very, very earliest days of Caligula's horse, since I think early 2011. Um, that was when I first met him, and that was also, it also happened to be the lead up to the release of the first album. Um, but Dale's been like one of my best mates for, you know, basically a decade now. And he's kind of always been, at least on the kind of periphery of the organization, like whether he's, as you say, um, an assistant engineer on records, whether he's just kind of there on tour or coming to gigs you know I was kind of joking earlier that he was like our kind of our first fan really like he, you know he, he loved it early on and he was a really close first friend last, yeah. first and last yeah so um, I've dodged <laughs> the question entirely Jim can actually answer the, the, the differences between him joining and um, what it was like before um, but you know it is worth pointing out that he really has been part of the band for a very long time even if he hasn't been an official member um, all the way down to 2018 when he was our lighting engineer in Europe but, yes that was almost like a surrogate kind of audition, wasn't it? it I mean, was, him yeah. being, you know, stuck in a tube, <laughs> which is a tour bus. They're not tubes, but I mean, that's what they, they feel they, like. They are large tubes. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. A, a pressurized <laughs> tube full of dudes. Just play bass for us. If you could put up lights, why don't you do There's that? There's no room for <laughs> lights. Yeah, just, just you know. This is, we sleep in coffins and shit. Yeah. But no, he, he, he was on the bus for with us for like five weeks. And, you know, it was, it, was, it was a really sort of, it is always kind of a tumultuous time on tour. So it was kind of cool to have him with us and kind of show that, you know, we're, we can get along in that environment. There's not mm. going to be any kind of conflict based on that. So that was, 
That was really cool. It, that that sounds like a joke, but like you don't really know someone yep. until you've you know slept in close quarters with them totally. for five weeks, not being able to get out of one another's way in any conceivable like manner. Yeah. Um, so you know, as much as as much as we knew him up until right. that point, we knew how how awesome he was at what he did. That really was just evidence that you know when um, Dave decided he wanted to depart. We'd been kind of talking about that at that point too. He was pretty open about all of that. We had a, you know, we had some some good dialogue about it. But when we realized that we were going to need a new bassist, we didn't hold auditions like we had for um, drums for Josh, prior. Yeah. It really was just a matter of look, Dale can do the thing. We know he's he's the you know the right dude. Yeah, we, we had the guy. Well. For we the had job. the guy. So it was just a seamless transition. Yeah, uh, and actually, it's worth saying he he has a writer's credit on I think the Tempest. The Tempest, yeah. yeah. So he did actually get involved in in writing as well because you know writing a lot of the time is just Jim and I. Um, but you know, he, I think he, the only other times has been uh, with with another voice in the writing room was. Um, it's always been with Zach. With Zach, yeah, yeah who's our, our, prior, guitarist. our previous guitarist. Yeah, yeah, and that was on stuff like Marigold, and uh, I think it was Dragonfly. I think dark hair down was the other one I think maybe yeah, yeah. either way I mean like he, he did actually have a bit of a voice in the writing too which was lovely yeah and I, I like the the tone that he's brought as well he mm-hmm. does, definitely has his own distinct sound that is is well that is specifically distinct from what Dave brought to the band so it's kind of cool to have a different voice both in the writing context and also just in in the sound of the band that's great totally. that's wonderful so uh can, moving moving on from the um, from the members of the band, I just wanted you if you guys could give us a brief description or explanation of the band name and how it describes or represents your music, if it does. Mm, um, so we well, I mean the, the history of it is this: we were originally going to call the first album album that was eventually called Moments from Ephemeral City. We were originally going to call that Caligula's Horse, and at the, the very early stages of this, this is like the the you know ground zero, Jim and my collaboration. Um, it was originally going to be Sam Vallon, that's the you know the, the act name, and then um, Caligula's Horse as the as the album right. name or EP name at that point. I it was a mistake remember. not to do that. It was it? a mistake. We should have done that from the very <laughs> no, but. Uh, <laughs> But, but it's worth saying that, you know, we sort of chose that then as a, as a band name, kind of out of necessity. We decided fairly abruptly that we were going to you know, start this thing and turn it into an actual band and yeah. you know, get some band members. I had previously lied to my wife and said, like, it's not it's not another project. I'm not joining another band. It's just a one-off thing. And I just, Here we are. just barefaced Ten lie. Ten years later. Yeah, Here yeah. we are. Um, but but so, so Caligula's Horse itself doesn't have some you know profundity to it. There's not like there's not layers of the onion to peel away. We we're both people who are kind of interested in you know some of that, that history, especially as we say like the, the apocryphal stories, all those funny almost propaganda esque yeah. stories, which is like what, what the the story of Caligula and his horse in Catartus practically is. applied bullshit. Yeah, exactly. To make right. someone look bad. But you know we we always sort of say like um, we we get the question why is the band name not in Catartus a lot uh, and. An, ang- an angrily voiced yeah, that question, yes. by the way. Seriously, so yeah. don't you not. even know what the horse's name is? It's like, yeah, we do, but <laughs> we, we just we don't do. want to sound like a metal band. You but know also, what I mean? the, the idea of like Caligula's horse, we're naming our band after the story. You know what I mean? It's yeah. this funny kind of probably apocryphal historical story that has a lot of layers of connotation that are all kind of entertaining to us in different ways, whether it's uh, the fraud element. Yeah, you, you're, out, you're a fish out of water. <laughs> you're a fish a out of water. Like, or whether it's the, um, just the, 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 the fact that it was... That, you know, it's the story that's held up as like the absolute depths of kind of deprived immorality, but yet yeah, it probably yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways to really kind of funny. Uh, my favorite thing about this is that the word brief was used in the question and um, we're still talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, press well, the no, stop it, it has there. a lot of... Uh... Yeah. But it has a lot of crossover, though. There's several different layers now, it seems like. Of, well, of there, there is, but the, the, one, the thing I want to point out is it's not... We're, we're not obsessing over any of these layers. Like, no. it was just something that sounded kind of cool to us and had some... Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. it was kind of fun. And our fans seem to hate that. Yeah, well, it makes yeah. sense. Well, I mean, people that find the band on YouTube seem to hate that. That's uh, true, yeah. But never read YouTube comments, guys. Just don't do oh, it. Yeah. It's not a it's fun not time for, for anyone. Yeah, definitely if you're a musician. <laughs> if you're releasing music, don't don't read YouTube comments. Just It's not worth huh. it. Not. There you go. One of Sam's first first statements to that was, it's not really, there's no profundity, and Destin immediately goes, so there's a lot of layers there. There's a lot to analyze. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what, what, I mean, what I meant is this. It, th- those layers <laughs> weren't really the things that we, we named the band after. It's more just we found the, the name funny for those yeah, reasons, you know? Sure. So it's not attached to the band in any profound way. It's just something we like. We also had no idea that it was going to get this far. Yeah, That's true, yeah. too. Oh, and you, you had the, the wisdom to know, oh, that sounds a little too, too metal or, you know, that just didn't sound right. And Destin, 
when we were first starting out in high school, we're gonna be atrophy, it's really cool. And I'm telling you, I didn't realize until I had to say it out loud several times, and we were like, atrophy, that's cool, what does that mean? I'm like, it means decay. Yeah, that doesn't work, that's not, we're not, that's not <laughs> Man, really I've been scared of that. Us. Like, we, we were talking so. about this actually, we were talking about how, like, it, it may be that we do get some fans who were like, why isn't it Incatatus, or you know, all these things we just talked about, all the problems with the name, I suppose. I still like it. You know, I still think it's a pretty good band name. So that's, that's fine. And you couldn't see it written in like branches. You know what I mean? Like totally. full black metal kind of yeah. dark sprawling. You right. can't see Caligula's yes. horse being written that way. Yeah. In yeah. But um, uh-huh. it's 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 Googleable. That's what matters. It the most is Googleable. Right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> from a from a previous conversation that we're that we were having, you were mentioning that it's uh you didn't want to ha- you didn't want to have that as the band name because it sounds sort of we didn't want to be a metal band. And then we've also said. Uh, along the lines of like, just not wanting to be in inside of a of a box or being genre specific, essentially. And so, um, yet on on some of mm. obviously with with labels being out there, and you have people like Prog Space who got who nominated you guys for best progressive me- metal album of the year, and your website also mentions that you guys are a progressive metal band. And uh, we we were having a conversation earlier that I really want to pick back up on when it comes to sort of the labeling of your music. You guys said mm. it didn't want to be a, a metal band, and there's obviously some some cro- there's a lot of crossover there with what you guys enjoy and what you guys like to do. I would love if you guys just expanded on that a little bit. What kind of drew you or draws you to the type of music that you're performing? Yeah, I mean, we, we were fortunate writing. that um, the, the the very beginnings of writing Caligula Sources music from those very beginnings, we really never had some you know, set in stone directive of what our music would sound like. Like it's always been very natural. Yeah, natural, exploratory and not in a over-the-top way. Exactly. Um, you know, now, for what it's worth, I, I last year finished writing a doctorate, which was all about progressive as like a kind of, as like a genre designation in rock and metal music. And the whole thesis is just a problematization of that. So, you know, me answering this question, I'm coming from this perspective mm-hmm. of someone who really doesn't put much stock in the value of that as like a... A genre term. I know a lot of people really do, um, but when we when we say progressive metal, which we do, you know, we, we self-identify as that. The, the the assumption is that progressive in that context means that we are not bound to to metal in its most straight-ahead kind of normative you know qualities so yes. as 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 jim says we, we're not really interested in genre music you know we don't want to create something where the expectation is that certain boxes will be ticked every time we write a song but we do also have some common background in styles like metal you know we kind of i, I think we 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 made friends right. over bands like opeth and pan salvation back yeah in the day, you know so when we when we write this music it's kind of natural for that to come out even if we've got a much broader set of influences um as individual band members as and you know as a band as a whole um but so so for what it's worth like whereas progressive metal to some people might mean you know long songs and odd time signatures and, overt and, technicality and, and, yeah, overt technicality virtuous yep. playing all that kind of stuff for us it really just means that it's this it's this kind of canvas that we can paint on as we see fit it happens to be very metal related hence it being progressive metal and certainly that's the foundation of a lot of our music yeah we get grumpy and that's what comes out <laughs> yeah exactly we're sad boys it's, you know, it's, it's hard to help um, <laughs> here comes Valkyrie I'm really upset <laughs> <laughs> but you know on top of that on top of that foundation we, we put whatever we want that's kind of what it means to us. Yeah, it's a zero limitations, yeah. no expectations. And that's that the, the irony of that is that it's kind of been more difficult to maintain that as the sort of band right. has grown mm-hmm. and sort of developed with our audience. And it's like, it's really important to us to kind of switch that off in the writing room and go like, we're not writing for anyone else. We're not writing for fans and stuff like that. You know, like we know mm-hmm. what the fans have enjoyed in previous albums, but it's, yeah. it's actually really difficult to do that. I mean, particularly yeah. for me yeah. to, to sort of go, you know, are they going to like this? Well, the, 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 moment, the, the, the moment that you start right. writing for that idea of what you've been in the past, that fans, you know, yeah. obviously have 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 come to enjoy or come to, you know, maybe it's maybe it's a favorite record amongst the others that yeah. we have. Um, the moment you start mm-hmm. doing that, you, you just sort of you sort of imitating these musical styles that you've you know engaged with in the past, and that to me is kind of terrifying as an artist because it ends up leading well potentially it ends up leading to um not doing something new you know it would suck if our if our output started to be a a cliche or started to be predictable so it's time for that scar album we talked about exactly whole album yeah there you go yeah that's coming back whole record four chords (laughs) nothing else i'm so glad that you uh that you guys explained (laughs) what that approach is to you because the term progressive is subjective 
And a lot of people tie it back to what they hear from the 70s, being, you know, the Rush, the Pink Floyd, the Yes, the Genesis, all of that stuff. And they, they have an expectation that's there, which just really kind of frames that really well for me to understand where you guys are coming from. And I'm so glad you said that. And our listeners are going to be able to hear that because when people hear the term progressive metal, that could mean uh, 10 different things to 10 different bands. And they all write 10 different styles of music. And so that's really, uh, I'm so glad that you guys you guys said that. And I would love to read that thesis. If, if, you're, if you're available and if you're open to that, yeah, I would love to read that thesis. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, sure. I, I think I think it's embargoed for another couple of months. It'll be it'll be you know in public academic searches and stuff uh, soon. Cool. Can't remember exactly when. I would tell you, yeah. but very Great. soon. Yeah, hopefully by the time this episode will be up, maybe we can maybe we can check it out. I'd love to hear that. So, you got time definitely. for how many thousand words? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's long. It's really long. Yeah. Um, it's extremely <laughs> progressive. You got my... I'm down. Yeah. It's so progressive. <laughs> I'm out. I'll catch you guys later. Man, yeah, yeah. it's such a progressive <laughs> article. Dude. I'll take the rest. It's fine. Man. Um, speaking of the, the prog rock and the prog metal and the fact that you identify as such, I, I'm curious, um, you mentioned uh, Opeth and Pain of Salvation. Were there other bands that were incredibly formative when you were first kind of starting out in, in this project that bloomed into something that you never thought would be a 10-year adventure, but now is and you guys have had some phenomenal success don't you start using album titles <laughs> don't you start doing it don't, yeah. don't, we're not. so <laughs> so i mean a, a lot of that early material like the stuff that i'd written prior to even collaborating with jim before i had any concept of what this would become it was stuff that like i was writing because i was a bit frustrated with you know the little bands that i was sort of playing in at the time and you know I'm, I'm sure you had some similar frustrations around those early years too like just this idea that um that you know there, there were there were limitations to what we could do in these local bands i started writing that early material purely because i wanted to just experiment and you can hear that in that you know that first album like it, it's not in any way a coherent record it's a very eclectic record very exploratory record um and that really is kind of what it was going to be. What it, it sounds was really to young to me too. No, like me the, too. The adventurous I, totally, youth kind totally. of thing. And I, I really appreciate it for that reason. Even totally. if it doesn't represent, you know, me as a writer, us as writers anymore. I mean, for, for the record, I mean, for anyone that doesn't know, um, the vast majority of that album, in fact, everything except for The City Has No Empathy mm. was all of what Sam had written before yeah. coming to me for guest guest appearance. We, oh, wow. we, we, you know. we tweaked some things okay. here and there, but you've, you've got to understand that really was something that I wrote almost out of necessity, like just having to you know get something out that was a bit more just creative, lit a fire under me a little bit more. So so what I was sort of getting at is when, when that was being written, I definitely had a bunch of influences that were kind of present there, some of which you can hear on the record, some of which are maybe a little bit less obvious. Um, but... You know, it, it was a really diverse kind of roster. I mean, in the metal world, we were listening to bands like Opeth, Pain of Salvation, as you say. Uh, Devin Townsend was a huge influence. Mm. Um, I was really into the Deer Hunter, I think, around especially the Colossus EP, we yeah. sort of discovered Act them. Three. Um, what else at the time? I'm trying to think of some other kind of. I think Frost, we talked Frost about Frost. Frost was a really a big one for me. Yeah. Uh, Jem Godfrey's band, yeah. Frost, like Frost with the, you know, apostrophe. Um, lovely, yep. lovely music, especially the Experiments of Mass Appeal and the Million Town Records, which were mm. huge for me in those early days um but you know we i think we kind of broke down a bit on like jeff buckley we found like a bunch of common ground there tori amos yeah um, you know some of that kind of 90s stuff and i think it's interesting that the, the sort of blending of those things given that, that those artists that were outside of that kind of progressive um moniker are the ones that are really emotionally driven you know like mm. all of tori amos's stuff is so so rich in mm. emotion and that frisson that you feel when you listen to it same with jeff buckley and so I think that's almost like our signature thing is like, you know, applying mm. the progressive edge in our own adventures and whatever sort of covert complexity that we put into the music mm. as well as being driven by a purely emotional kind of... Uh, yeah, it was, it was actually pretty significant, I think, especially as we started writing River's End. Yes. Um, but, you know, like that, that, that's, that's kind of, I guess, an example of the more obvious sets of influences. But I, I've always been a huge fan of Steely Dan. I see your Royal Scam record back there, of course. Yes. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's where a lot of the sort of more colorful harmony and stuff um, was directly stolen from. Um, <laughs> there's, you know, there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff like that that, again, I, I, was, I was excited by the idea of this being a record that was kind of unbound by all the genre conventions and you hear it in it you know yeah. that it speaks to that really diverse range of influences i think most mm -hmm. definitely 
I, I I wanted to ask: Is Peter Gabriel and Split Ends yeah. a part of this group that you guys were collecting? Because obviously, as we saw in the deluxe edition of the of Rise Radiant, you did a cover of "Don't Give Up," mm-hmm. beautiful song, as well as "Message to My Girl" by Split Ends. And so, yeah. were those two kind of a part of that that you grew up with? Was that more of a nostalgic type of thing? Why we included on the record? Yeah, uh, yeah nostalgic, totally. nostalgic for sure. But yeah, very formative. I, I, think, mean, I think so by Peter Gabriel was like a huge, like an enormous part of my childhood. I think that was just played mm. a lot. Um, to the point where like as a teenager, we had a little joke that basically all Peter Gabriel's song titles are about his penis. Um, <laughs> Which may or may not be <laughs> true. May or may not be true, can't um, confirm. Um, citation, citation needed. Um, but, you know, and, and Crowded House and Split Ends are obviously kind of a huge part of yeah. that. Especially because I, you know, I grew up in New Zealand. I'm a, I'm a dual citizen. You know, growing up with that kind of stuff is just a cultural backdrop to, to, you know, the radio you hear and the television you watch yeah. and stuff like that. And of course, um, Neil yeah. Finn is just like a chorus oh. machine like it just just so natural Mm -hmm. and like message to my girls again one of my parents favorite songs and i think that was a bit unexpected i think for the for the audience to hear us do that cover as well it's a song Um, that means something to us or really moves us Um, Mm. it's interesting though because it it reminds you you know a lot of fans don't necessarily connect to that stuff yeah these are just songs that we you know put down as things worthy of us doing covers because they were a big influence on us or rather they um instructed our approach to a lot of different it's things it's one of the best chorus that. hooks ever written i swear that, that chorus hook is just oh it's great phenomenal so, great. so good and you guys nailed it too it was amazing it was awesome oh thank, you. thank, thank you. you thank you yeah that's my pleasure you know like <laughs> no i i have to say that the, that those covers really really were some of my my favorite moments because they were just it was so different it was very fresh and and yeah the execution was was really really brilliant sorry you finish no i was just i was just gonna ask how people have received it if you know i mean have you heard people be like whoa this no is they don't really read youtube cool, this isn't the yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Jim, Jim does and he gets angry and he sends them to me I'm pretty good at insulating myself from it but, um, no, so, so what I was going to say it's sort of related to the answer I can go into it is in the past for like the, the bonus tracks and any special editions and stuff we've done we've always done like revisited kind of versions of previous Caligula Source songs trying to you know rearrange them or whatever we came to a point with Rise Radiant where you know looking back an album or two we didn't really have any songs we wanted to redo you know we've become kind of increasingly happy with how we've approached you know the, the production put together the songs but we didn't want to reinterpret anything off of blue more in contact yeah that, that was sort of the, the the foundation of the decision you know we sort of said like look let's let's stop doing that let's do something else if we were going to do some covers that represented us in this earlier period in time what was instructive to us and that's where we where we got the idea to do those songs i thought that was just a tidbit worth mentioning but in terms of um the reception i mean you'd know better than i well i think i've seen <laughs> i've seen some stuff you know, it's like a, I, like I'm a vessel for human sadness, and so I, I like I pursue uh, being upset. <laughs> a great deal. He does. Of the time. It sounds like a joke, but it's the bane of my existence because I get really sad streams of messages yeah, just, that I then have to be oh, on. Oh man, what's the point? To, with damage but yeah, so like, I mean, people. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you know, there's a lot of people that appreciate it. Don't give up, particularly with the the incidental kind of timing of the choice of that song. Because we we mm. actually we, we chose to do it around the time of the Australian bushfires. Yeah. Because Australia's fucking oh cocked it. You know what I mean? Yeah, Over the last yeah. sort of mm-hmm. eighteen months to two years, where it's just like one thing after another. Yeah. So the bushfires, and then it's COVID, and then it's floods, and then it's all of this stuff. Our government's a piece of mm-hmm. shit. You know, like all all of this stuff, just one one after another. And uh, it just seemed appropriate at the time to go like, you know, this, this is a, such a sentimental message and it, it not only resonates with us as a song, but also just the message is really good. Mm. And the minute, the minute we, we sort of decided on it, like, you know, I, like Lindsay Ward from Exploring Birdsong was like my first, I was just like, yeah, it's got to be Lindsay, you know, and she crushed it. Mm. Yeah, it was it was very timely. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. not, not accidentally, but... It was great. I, I was honestly, there was a few moments of your cover of the song that I actually liked more than the original and it, and the delivery of the female vocal was one of them. I loved, it was like, I don't know. I think the, the studio version of Peter Gabriel had like, there was some sort of like chorus sort of vocal effect that was going on with the, with the woman's voice, but hers was just so clean it was so pure mm. and that was one of my favorite parts about that was like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was great. It was great. Fantastic choice. Good idea. 
Oh, us too. I, yeah. I, I, I still remember getting. I remember getting those stems and just being like, "Wow!" Yeah, man. listening without anything on them and just yeah, going, "Jesus crazy. Christ, yeah. what a performance!" She did. She I did mean, great. big love to Kate Bush. Yes, big love to oh, my girl. Huge, Kate I, actually, Bush. No, talking about formative influences, I was massive into Kate Bush in the early really? moments of yeah, 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 City yeah, writing. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, Lindsay, Lindsay destroyed. That's it. amazing. Yeah. Yep. Well, a lot of old prog, you know. Which you could, I guess, you could kind of put Kate Bush in there. You, get, you, know? you could just listen, squeeze her. Listen to the chorus of Wuthering Heights and tell me yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you could squeeze her in there. You can squeeze yeah. her in. I mean, she was, you know, hanging out with with Dave Gilmore and all the stuff. Look, anyway, yeah, yeah. conversation yeah. for another yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is is Kate Bush prog? I'm going to say yes. That's my thesis. That's his that's thesis. thesis. It's yeah. going to be also <laughs> progressive, a progressive thesis. Yeah. yeah. Two hundred thousand words just worshiping Kate Bush. That's it. By <laughs> stream of consciousness, no punctuation. <laughs> I I oh love to to make the guests on our show feel as uncomfortable as possible. That's the best way to do an interview and to conduct it. So I'm going to read a little Excellent. bit of, of some of the Excellent. reviews, just a couple, and then follow up with a legitimate question. Um, <laughs> and you, and you'll love the the name of it. It's oh, yes. Man of Much Metal. Uh, gave it a 96%. He really loved it. He, he just he described it thusly. He said, mm. Okay, nice. <laughs> I was waiting I for you to say something very different than that. Oh, most. Why would, why would we do that? Shit. No way. It's simply a two-word review. Two-word review, yeah. <laughs> that one's not real. Uh, he's... He said, Rise Radiant is the sound of a band that is becoming more and more adept at what they do. And what they do is artfully blend a wide variety of sounds and influences into an incredibly coherent and smooth listening experience that's essentially progressive rock with plenty of heavy and more abrasive metallic moments. I've read reviews that are kind of similar in, in some of their wording where they mention that you guys are always improving and always exploring different ideas. I think that's great. And I think that's what a lot of progressive rock bands yeah, and quotations kind of about progressive and that whole term uh but kind of what that that term is just you know by nature what it kind of defines do you feel like you really expanded your sound with this album were there territories that were very new to you and if so how did it feel my turn uh yeah no i mean it, it's it's kind of interesting every single time we go to start uh, a new album you know whether whether that's you know months before we even really kick off writing in in, in earnest we always try to sit down and have like a meeting and discuss what it is that we want to achieve with the album. Like we discuss, you know, where we've come from, what we've just done, what we loved about what we just did, and what we have to say next. You know, what, what what's important to us to to try. Um, I think on Rise Radiant for me, I mean, I can speak for myself specifically. Is in in terms of lyrics, I wanted to get a, a great, more direct personal experience in there to be really directly honest rather than sort of layering it within the story of of someone else like in a concept album because of course coming off the back of in contact which was such a you know big four chapter you know involved yeah. um concept album we wanted it to be you know far more direct and i think that affected the actual lengths of the songs as well we sort of challenged ourselves to be really direct musically that way you know and i think that's where some of the singles sort of came from you know slow violence and and uh, the tempest you know they they come in they say what they have to say and then they go um and that was kind of the mission statement for the whole thing so yeah what do you have to say sam i'll pass you the mic bit awkward this isn't it um so the, the the big difference that i saw is talking about like how in contact really was this large piece of music that starts at the beginning goes through four chapters and ends at the end yeah whereas with rise radiant we we, we were looking at albums like nevermind or metallica's black album these these kind of records where like every song has a really distinct identity of its own so if you think about in contact there are a lot of songs on there or you know like even things like inertia which you'd be hard-pressed to call a song but you're kind of there as part of the 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 album experience as a whole rather than as like you know here's a here's a standout like crowd favorite kind of moment something like love conquers yeah. all is a really good example of what i mean um whereas with rise radiant we really wanted it to be like you you remember every song it's not to say that you love every song every song is you know as good as every other one it's more just to say they all have a, a an identity of their own so that was another thing that we were really kind of writing into um but i i agree completely about the the the, the how concise how succinct the whole thing was um, an album like In Contact, I almost saw it as being a little bit too long. You know, it's definitely very, very, very long by the end of it. Uh, we wanted something shorter, something that was punchy. It said its thing and then it got out of the way. And that's a challenge for us, especially coming off the back of writing stuff like Graves and Dream the Dead and whatnot. And we still cheated. We still wrote uh, Salt and uh, The Ascent, but, you know. Yeah. What are you going to do? You can't take the prog out of yeah. the boy, you know? <laughs> right. That's yeah, right. of course. That's right. Can you take the boy out of the prog? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
I, I, I thought it was interesting. Some, some other people and I'll, I'll, I'll well, I'll, I'll reduce the amount of embarrassment, uh, after this that, that I'm serving, but, uh, do you have any some... one star or zero star reviews you can quote back on, on hand? No, Shame. because we can go find know, some. I'm, I'll, Oh, please. Uh, yeah, Fred. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just right here. We'll just... <laughs> you need to understand um, that he's joking about that now, but the moment you find one, this interview will be over and he'll be crying in the corner. So you've got to, you've got to, be, you've got to be careful. It's where my ideas come from. <laughs> that comment? That's a song! No, just joking. Um, but uh, some people had said that this was even more melodic than some of your, your previous releases. I thought this was an interesting quote. Nico Savic from uh, Sonic Perspectives said, although it may not seem like uh, that at first glance, this is argu- arguably Caligula's horse at their heftiest. On the other side, this is also an album that exudes melody in large volumes. And I actually didn't really have like a written question for that. I just thought that was interesting. And I'm wondering if you kind of had that similar perspective that this, I mean, melody is something I'm sure you, always are constantly thinking about and especially when thinking of something like in contact with stuff that's very melodic but yeah, did yeah. it seem like melody was more focused or or does that quote seem kind of just eh, i don't really think but <laughs> you know well, no, but you're right like we, we it's always on our mind melody is always something that's really mm-hmm. important to us but I, I mean i really appreciate that because I, I think i kind of see it the same way like we, we always talk about this idea that when we're writing a song it should be something that functions just as well on an acoustic guitar and a voice that's kind of like a standard by the way of a lot you know a lot of pop songwriters see their music that way it really should be able to be broken down into you know or rather unadorned and still sound really good um we probably went further than ever with that because again a lot of this is so kind of reduced in scope if you don't have 10 sections in a song the three sections that are there better be damn good um and actually, I'd say the one songwriting approach that we probably pushed into a bit more now than we had in the past, even if it's always been a bit of a fixture, is the idea of really building on motifs. You know, like a song like Slow Violence, where kind of everything is based on that da na na, like that, you know, one flat two kind of thing. Um, taking a really like simple idea, you know, an idea that could span two or three chords or it could span two or three notes and trying to work out how to weave that into almost everything that appears throughout a song so when you hear that second or that third melody it still has a sense of familiarity because it's still related in some way to the first section now it's funny as i say that you know a lot of prog fans might hear it and just be like oh i just want new stuff you know another section something totally unrelated i want to go on an adventure and of course a lot of the music is adventurous in that way but that's that's a particular challenge that we kind of set on ourselves as songwriters here like how much can we weave these ideas together so the song has a sense of kind of uh, stability or familiarity even as it's changing parts over and over yeah. again and i think um i think let's say probably slow violence and salt are probably the songs that do it the most for me in that respect on this album in different ways different scopes of course and the ascent as well actually um but that idea of everything being based on these really like you know fundamental motifs like these 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 very small building blocks that you then kind of extrapolate in all these different directions that was definitely something that was really kind of important to me melodically as we were writing it so i appreciate that quote you know whether it's i don't know yeah decide whether you think it's true or not but i i definitely appreciate it right yeah i think one of the things that um that I, I I like to focus on particularly with like a vocal hook as well and I think it's one of the things that makes a melody most memorable is um, just remembering the importance of rhythm in melody you know like particularly with lyricism where it's you know you've got you've got the the word setting being so important to make that melody um, memorable mm-hmm. and I think that's something I spend a great deal of time on with this album as well so it's kind of, I, I think all of those things kind of tie together into uh, creating these memorable shapes absolutely yeah that's great sam it was really interesting you you were talking about yeah i'm gonna go ahead and talk over you yeah you go ahead do that um i was (laughs) um i thought it was interesting you had you had uh mentioned motifs and familiarity and i think some of my favorite prog rock or classic progressive rock records do that and i'm thinking of the lamb lies down on broadway when they kind of recreate Mm. the light lies down on broadway and something like that where it kind of brings it back to that now obviously that's that's much different than doing it in such a concise way like you guys did with res radiant but something also like the wall with another brick in the wall right that refrain Mm. kind of keeps coming Mm. back i think that sense of familiarity is so crucial in 
really crafting something that is unique because you need that sense of familiarity to, to latch onto while incorporating new things here and there and, and mm. taking you on that journey. So anyways. T -t totally agree. And I mean, like Genesis and Pink Floyd are like, honestly, some of the absolute kind of benchmarks yeah. Like yeah. Of, that, of that approach to writing. Right. You know, I, I love the idea that if you've got something familiar to grasp to, like even if it's just something really small, as I'm describing, it then gives you almost permission as an artist to kind of throw out more adventurous things because at least there's a thread tying them Absolutely. together. You know, the audience isn't just cast into the abyss where you've got to just try and scramble right. and find something that makes sense. Exactly. Um, but, but you're exactly right. All those classic prog albums, especially those classic like uh, prog concept albums, think things like uh, Thick as a Brick is another really good example. Right. Like, you know, any of that sort of like early to mid 70s material where, where you know, the prog had really found its feet as like a kind of compositional approach where you've got these motifs, you've got this almost overture-esque start and conclusion, right. you know, like, uh, um, I mean, that I, you're right. I think that's where that idea came into rock music. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I really love your examples. But yeah, for us, it's like, I, I, I like the idea that an album like In Contact, for example, we've got a couple of shared themes, but I, what I'm getting at here is even, even smaller, you know, e even more um, may, maybe within the scope of a single song. And the whole song has some kind of reference in every one of its sections. I think Slow Vance is the only time we've done that, where there is literally there is not a section in that song that doesn't bear that motif in some way. And it's cool to kind of find it. Actually, no, you're right. The Ascent is the other one, because the Ascent, we actually did that on purpose. So how did I not think of this? I'm talking about it being like through composed and justifying <laughs> our strange changes in the song. Yeah. The Ascent was a song where we d d decided we actually wanted it to be through composed. And the only thing tying it together is these couple of motifs, like that uh, that minor chord. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that minor chord, the major seventh, and stuff like that. I remember, I remember yeah. hearing you guys talk about that in the uh, in your rundown <laughs> of the mix of the ascent, which I loved. Mm. I, I thought that was mm. brilliant, just to hear all of those the, the motifs that were recurring back into the music, and even from like a rhythmic perspective, it's almost like that sense of modulation rather than mm. complete exploration to a certain degree. In a rhythmic yeah. sense, I, I'm a drummer, and so I when I'm thinking in that sense, like the person that comes to mind for me is somebody like Neil Peart, yeah. where it was we're playing kind of the same material in, the, in verse one, verse two, but verse one and verse two is just a little bit different. Like maybe there's a second kick mm. on on two rather than one, and he and he does that so brilliantly where it's not just three thousand different ideas all at mm -hmm. once, but it's just little modulations within the music that creates a a sense of familiarity but also gives this sense of motion and reaching mm. someplace different and moving someplace different. And I also think as well, it kind of ties back. It's almost the separation, I think, of the emotional concept of it. Mm. Because when you have too many things that are changing and there's a lot of exploration and not a whole lot of familiarity that's being tied with the music, you kind of get lost feeling a way to emotionally connect with something, I think. And that's one of the things I really, really enjoyed about especially Slow Violence is that the, the vocals, especially, I, I love totally. your vocal delivery on, on that song, Jim. And it just, you can feel mm. that it's changing, but it also has that sense of like, it's going to come back to that. And you can grasp onto that and it hits mm. emotionally and hits hard. So I'm really glad that you said that and that we're, that we're talking about this because I feel it's such an incredible thing that ties it, your it music. Does, it actually makes me... Go ahead. What were you saying? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, there's there's one other there's one other way that it does kind of uh, manifest in our creative process, which is this idea that a, a transition always says something, right? So a transition oh, wow. can be a contrast. Right. So it's not to say that you know you you can't do something that's incredibly like distinct, like where you go from here to this new tempo, this new key. But if that doesn't mean something, if there's not some kind of like you know like musical gesture tied up to that 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 transitional change or that contrast. It seems to me to be really well. I, I, I feel it as being jarring rather than as being you know surprising yes. or interesting or captivating or whatever. So so we we spend I'm gonna say an inordinate amount of time sure. on, on contrast. Like honestly, we, when when we're when we're looking at how uh, rather not contrast transitions, when we're looking at what uh, a section what section will go to another section, making sure that there is some kind of meaning to that change is something that we put a yes. lot of thought into. So you know whether it is. A, a gradual sort of um, measured change, like a lot of the ones that you hear in the ascent, where it kind of yeah, goes right. from part to part in an incremental way, or whether we're talking about doing a total drop away from something yep. to something else, knowing that as soon as that happens, the audience is going to have whiplash for that moment, and it's going to have to be justified directly after it. So transitions are really important to us too. I probably should have tied that into the motif yeah. idea because we do spend a lot of time on that. And I'm going to pass this mic <laughs> so that I'm not crapping. There you go. More. Hello, Jim. Here's a comical. Hey, include. how are Hello. you? I'm going to say something, say something funny on command. <laughs> That's my job. 
I think we had a, a previous episode that Drew and I had where we were discussing a, a Riverside album. We were discussing Shrine of, uh, what was it? What's the name of that? New Shrine Generation of New Slaves. Generation Slaves. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that record, but one of the things that really struck us the the most, or I guess struck us the the biggest uh, a part of that record was the the greatness and the um, I guess the the well execution, uh, for lack of a better term, of their transitions and what they meant for yeah. the music. Um, uh, you're taking it to a different level, though, talking about the the motifs and the reasoning behind it, like what we're going to to give afterwards. And we just strictly stuck with how they transition musically, and it just felt so easy. When in a lot of progressive music where we got a lot of dynamics going on, it can be very, very difficult to transition between one section to another. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of like avoiding the, the handbrake turn into the next section right. that feels arbitrary. And like Sam was saying, it's just like if, if it is a handbrake right. turn, it's got to be there for a reason. It's got to be there to be like a slap in the face. We're deliberately doing this as part of the right. shape and the story of the song. You know, the structure has to make sense. Right. It's one of those things where you don't, like you were saying, you don't want it to be jarring, but at the same time, you, you do notice when it's done really well. That's what's kind of bizarre is, you know, it's a transition really shouldn't be, like you say, so jarring. But at the same time, it's not like, oh, and then there's nothing. No, you're at the next place. But do you know why that next place is so awesome? It's because the way to get there was it fit in just so it blended so yeah, it all, well. It all has to have purpose. Absolutely. You know, otherwise, it's just arbitrary. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. So I know this is I know this is probably picking between one of your children and we discussed that you know you guys have several different songs that aren't in a string of concept you know this is going where there's no string so every every single song has kind of its own identity i want to know and i guess we all want to know was do you guys have a favorite track or maybe a least favorite track that's on this record or maybe even one that was just a particular piece that was maybe most difficult to write or record maybe we can take that route just i'll just kind of let you guys do whatever you want there I'm gonna I'm gonna have a think and chuck the mic over over to Sam. How about that? <laughs> that is a that is a cop out, my friend. Um, no, I, I actually I reckon I know. So, <laughs> so I, I think I think Salt is my favorite song on the record. I think it's uh, it's a song. The way I always describe it is it's a song that almost should have not worked, um, as, mm. as well as I like to kind of think it worked. It's so strange in a lot of its kind of musical foundation. There's a lot of ideas in there. You know, think like the the, the the quintuplet kind of time base or oh, yeah. some of those strange key changes like all of these things that you know we hadn't really played with before and so we were really just kind of hoping that it would all come together in the end especially given that it has quite an ambitious kind of um, i suppose story or theme to it um and you know that that big climax at the end um i'm gonna say that's probably my favorite on the record although and i've said this before that Quiet section in the middle of the ascent is my favorite section in the, oh, it's in the great. album, the um, the forward section, and it's yes. funny because it it's turned out to be a fairly controversial section. We've got uh, certainly huh. a lot of fans kind of say like, oh, it's it's just too light, you know, this big heavy part of the song. Is oh, too mellow. shut up! I love yeah. that section, and it yeah, still no. it still moves me. Like yes. it really is one of my favorite of, of our whole catalog. That that one, the <laughs> that I'm middle section. You no, seriously, like it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, is, it is divisive. Well, and we have later on in our notes here in our prog notes, we were talking about how it seems like a lot of people don't really connect with some of the, the softer pieces and i mean yeah we, we, we run into that a lot well and see dustin and i are actually kind of 180 we we're, really we're like a, a lot of moments that. that breathe that just have a lot of breath and and all this kind of stuff so we well, yeah, i mean you guys are pieces. clearly like into the sort of the progressive rock element to right. all of this too which is where we you know where we derive a lot of that influence from sure. so i mean yep. for, for those who come in and you know their, their interest is maybe more in the heavy stuff heavy. maybe they're coming yes. from more like that that kind of gent world you know where they just yep. sure. jump around at a gig exactly. and riffs are all clangy and zeroy you know all that kind of stuff <laughs> Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm sure you, you can find a little bit of that kind of stuff in Seahorse, but of course, it is a it's it's a it's a component of this this larger thing that we do. Um, so that, I mean, that's anyway, that's my answer. Now, hopefully, you've got one. Yeah, Jim, what do you I got don't. for us? Um, he doesn't have uh, an answer. I don't. <laughs> no, I, I'm going to say probably the the one two punch of Autumn and the Ascent. I can't really sort of um, pick yes out of those two. Just really just for the the kind of message behind it. I mean, like I would have gone with Salt also, um, but Sam's stolen my thunder there. Um, but yeah, because I mean, salt in itself, like, because again, speaking from the lyrical kind of um, purpose behind it, you know, is all about sort of overcoming uh, suicide and, you know, autumn in the ascent is very much to do with the legacy that we're, we're giving to our children and stuff. And that's obviously on our minds because I've just had a second daughter and 
Sam's mm-hmm. son was born at the beginning of the writing yeah. process for it. During the writing um, process, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 like it was it was definitely on our minds. It was definitely part of uh, of it. So I think that one holds a, a special place for me. But also the rest of them. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't give a fuck Heck with that. The whole album. <laughs> Get out of here. I I love yeah. that the the middle section of um the middle section of salt. I love where that. And I love how your vocal lands on that too. That's that's brilliant. You did pretty well there. That's a tricky melody. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I have this I have this memory of that. I mean, one thing I want to say is when we play that live, there is like five or six different versions of that motif, and to remember them each time, it, it's, it's like, an what absolute. What are you doing? Pain. Yeah. Um, why are you guys writing stuff say, so hard I remember, for yourself? I don't know. I remember, I remember writing that melody because it was obviously like a guitar melody first, as you can hear, no mm-hmm. doubt. I remember writing that and, and, and loving it and sending it to Jim. We obviously thought the section was great. And him saying, I'm going to sing that. What do you think of that? And me saying, that's a silly idea. Why would anyone do that? It's, it's awesome. Though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. It's great. That and the, and the uh, chorus of, of uh, what is it? Uh, the chorus of Autumn probably another one of my and also also i mean even the middle section of autumn as well that i don't even remember i don't even know what you're singing right there to be honest with you but the you have a time lot of time to river's toil in. section yes that's it thank you thank you we you refer to it as the crowded it. house part despite it not sounding the crowded house part yeah so the crowded remotely. house part is probably one of my favorite moments on the entire record bar none oh that's nice throw that out there oh you're yeah you know big love to neil finn <laughs> that's for writing that bit for us no yeah. fun Thanks, Neil. Uh, I was I was curious with so many different sounds going on, and with it being such a common thread between a lot of the early pioneers of progressive rock. Have you ever considered adding a, a, a keyboardist as a permanent member? I know that might sound like a silly question for a metal thing, but you guys, I, I notice a lot of really excellent production in the keys on, on a lot of the stuff, and it's 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 nuanced, but it's brilliant. And but I think it's it's prevalent enough that I was curious. I wonder if they've ever thought about that. We actually have talked about it. Um, it it's something that, that Sam is sort of responsible for in, in the studio in terms of the production and composition yeah. of all of that. Um, but given the performance, he says. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the, uh, I, I, think, I, I think it's something that, you know, it depends on whether we were relying on it super heavily. For us okay. at the moment, it's sort of it, it's very much a, a sort of a it's part of the body of the sound. It's part of you know the background creating the 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 certain thickness that we find so appealing. Sure. Um, but if it was to become such a, a forthright part of the sound of, that we're creating, that's something that we would definitely consider. I think. Yeah, it's it's worth pointing out that um, we we actually we actually approach a lot of the writing of those elements explicitly because we don't have a keyboard so we position them in those kind of ways like it's very Mm -hmm. rare for us to have something like the start of salt for example where it's a solo piano because we know we can't play a solo piano piano live it ends up being something that we've either got on tracks or i'm you know arranging for guitar that's how we do salt or how we're planning to do salt since we haven't toured on this freaking album yet Um, right but but it's it's a really good point i mean like i i put so much time and thought into how those arrangements work how those sounds you know meld together how the performances feel i'm a pretty mediocre keyboardist i have to just put it all in and then tweak it and do whatever i've got to do to it um but it but but jim's right it's more about how it fits into the song it doesn't yet have an identity like say the guitar playing or the bass playing or the vocals or the drums do um but when it does or if it does then who knows cool. uh i wanted to also touch on on some of the lyrics uh of this i I actually don't have a question for this next one. I just wanted to talk about how much I, I liked a, a certain lyric. Uh, and this, it's, I'll just say, it. for Autumn, we were just talking about how appropriate, change was always on its way, change has always been this way. It's a very simple lyric, but it is, I, I love it. I, just hearing those lyrics, I absolutely melt. And I, you know, the, the concept is, you know, something that you kind of hear time and time again, a sense of perpetual change. Sorry, it's a prog rock show. I have to mention a yes song. Um, but I I really, <laughs> I love the way yeah, it's phrased. I love how it fits in with the music. I, I find it absolutely gorgeous. Like I said, there's no question. I just wanted to say that, so. Thank you. Sam was just saying that was also one of his favorites. I, I do try to avoid, just because you're really towing the line of some, some cliche and kind of cheese for me. And of course, 
my cheese filter like is extremely tight like i'm i I cringe very easily Mm -hmm. so i do try to avoid kind of oxymoron as Mm -hmm. a tool lyrically i try to i try not to play with it too much of course i'm Mm. I'm guilty of it sometimes but this is an example where it fit really well you know like finding a different way to say that you know change is the only constant that kind of thing so change has always been this way sort of how it came out i'm quite i'm quite happy Mm. with that I think the the reason I love it is because it almost adds like a kind of layer of irony to that last line. You know, it's like you're singing about all of these things that do actually transition that you see, and then it's just a nice little bow Mm -hmm. at the end. Change has always been there. You know, it ends up that 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 I think is what hits me. It's not just the lyric; it's that that placement. It's this final line of this very melancholic section that reminds you of just how transient all this stuff is. And of course, it's a song about you know new fatherhood. That's 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 what it's about: legacy and new fatherhood. So, um, what better, I suppose, example of change Mm -hmm. is there? Yeah, yeah, right. Right. And you guys deliver it musically very delicately as well, which which is very fitting. Towards towards the uh, that idea and concept. Well, like I was saying, you know, we, we love that section as well. And I, I remember when that was when, when we were writing that, seeing it as this kind of crowded house section. You know, we had the strummed acoustic guitars, all of the lovely sort of mellow yep. elements like that. Um, but you know, we we play with bittersweet and nostalgic a lot. Like those are those are sentiments that I know we're sad boys. As I said, we're sad boys. Like it's 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 hard to have something that is positive without just an element of of kind of you know a streak of sadness or a streak of tragedy hidden within it. It always feels much more fulfilling, I suppose, artistically to me. Right. It does. Um, and yeah, that's a good example yeah, of that. Yeah, major key, slightly sad. Right. Yeah. 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 There you go. So is there is there a certain message, or or maybe I don't know maybe is there a certain message that you really want people to take away from the record lyrically or was there some sort of concept or ideology that really sparked the inspiration for the lyrics on the album there specifically wasn't a concept because again like part of that meeting that discussion we had at the beginning going like we don't want to do a concept album etc but like of course every, every time you kind of latch onto an idea you know for me lyrically the shape of a song often comes out of just like a little something that I've penned yeah. By pen, I mean typed into my phone at right. like one in the morning, and I'm lying there, and I'm about to go to sleep, and my brain goes, hey, "You got yeah. an idea," and um, and I go like, "No, I'm not going to write it down, but then I have to because otherwise it's fucking gone to the yeah. void." And so it'll be like one little tiny thing, and then that'll kind of inspire an idea, which is of course a concept or a story or something, and and each one kind of has its own kind of contained version of that. But I think overall, I mean, what we were hoping with Rise Radiant when it, when it was finished, we realized that it's just like it is. A, um, pretty optimistic album despite you know all of its you know the aggressive elements the kind of melancholic elements the kind of irony the cynicism to some of it like i I still think overall it's like a really positive thing so we're hoping that it's kind of inspiring to people right to rise and be radiant to be radiant (laughs) be a deer you know what i'm saying be a a staring at a mountain yeah So uh, I, this is this is a note that I found um, when I was listening to songs like Salt and The Ascent. And uh, one of the things I noticed is that I, I what I heard was a very rhythmic vocal approach, almost almost sort of a uh, almost sort of a spoken word, maybe influence. And uh, I think we mentioned this early on uh, going back to In Contact. You delivered Inertia and The Weapon of the Wall, uh, which was just a powerful monologue that we really want Drew to do a cover of one day. And so I, my question, though, was I want to know if, uh, if if Jim, is that is that something that is in your in your history? Do you study spoken word or what's what's the history behind maybe that approach or inspiration to include that style? Um, much like many other things, I kind of get excited about something and then leave it behind. Um, and uh, th- there was a, <laughs> there's a huge pile of unfinished shit in my wake. Um, and it's very sad to yeah. say that out loud and acknowledge it as as truth. But the, the fact is, it was it was something that I did, you know I saw a couple of these these viral kind of videos of people doing sort of slam poetry and whatever that really excited me and it was kind of a a different way of approaching rhythmic vocals that wasn't necessarily rap because of course like you know I do enjoy you know rap and I, I think some there are some incredible artists out there doing awesome stuff but like I can't rap um, so you know like if if I wanted to sort of learn something from that I could I could do it in a spoken word context and I think when you look at inertia rhythm is kind of the key to it you know there's a lot of alliteration there's a lot of sort of um you know using the consonants yeah. to kind of drive it along and but, but it is it's free form it's driven by its content um but i think having done that and also you know having toured on it 
you know, we played Inertia into the cannon's mouth all across Europe for, you know, our 2018 tour. And I think after, after doing that and kind of having so much experience with performing something like that live, it really informed how I was going to approach uh, lyrics for Rise Radiant. And, and of course, I didn't want to repeat myself and mm. do a spoken word piece, but I think stuff like Slow Violence is a pretty good example of where the, the verse is entirely driven by the, the lyrical rhythm of the, of the thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was one of the videos that I found of, online of uh, of Sam and Adrian playing uh, the guitars for Slow Violence. And you guys played it without Jim's vocals on it. And the first thing that I noticed when you, you guys were playing it was, it was like, holy cow. Well, I was the first thing I noticed was, was the, the amount of depth that the vocals add to those sections, especially the chorus. Uh, with you guys playing on the on those sections, I was like, wow, this is really... I mean, from the production standpoint, so props to the production on that. Um, but also just the way that you delivered that, and uh, you just have a very, you have several different, I don't know what I don't know what you call it, but it's almost like, kind of like that raspy, whispery sort of thing that you do that I really really enjoy. Uh, one of the things that really helps you guys stand out to me, and I think Drew had the question it was like, did you were you in theater or did you do anything on stage ever in in the in your childhood or maybe even today? I mean, I'm always kind of curious about that stuff because I, I. I used to be a, a theater geek myself and then and yeah. what a shock my right, wife that is, I would my wife is the same. something like progressive rock <laughs> so right I, it's that's just curious to me yeah no I, I i did i mean in a very amateur sense like there was there was no professional theater in my history like um i've been performing since i was like five I did, I did ballet and and all of that i did dance for a long time but in, in high school it was all you know music theater and and being the drama geek like that that kind of thing yeah. and of course singing in choirs and doing performance and stuff like that and, and at uni i did a little bit of music theater as well not in any real way you know what i mean it was it wasn't like putting on mm -hmm. proper productions or anything but definitely sort of influenced the dramatic approach to to performance that mm -hmm. i have and, and sort of helped shape the very interesting the, like mechanical approach mm -hmm. to singing that i have as well yeah uh, i um I, I, I heard uh, Sam say something to the effect of, of this was a, a first album. This was on a video, I think, that, that you guys had done talking about specifically Autumn and the Ascent. Um, something to the effect of this is the first album where it felt like the whole band was writing together. It felt more cohesive rather than maybe just a binary effort by, by both of you. Do, do you think that this is the start of a different writing process? I, I don't know if the, the writing process is going to like you know change at its foundation per se I, I think i think the way we write you know after 10 years of doing this is pretty comfortable and instead what we're kind of interested yeah. in i suppose is just things being injected into that to kind of just keep the fire lit under us um what sure. we found with rise radiant it is the first album where every band member has contributed something now th those contributions mm. are obviously not like whole songs or anything like that they're usually you know a riff or an idea or a chord progression or something um cool but the thing is like you know given that we've got this kind of process now after all of these years of doing it where you know we're totally comfortable making fools of ourselves in front of one another and just get it like like we can, we can write pretty quick as a duo because there's really just very little barrier there nowadays um but having stuff come in from the outside is just this amazing way of, I suppose, lending a new perspective just momentarily yeah. to the approach mm -hmm. that we already have. So um, like Adrian actually sent me, so the Foundation of Salt was Adrian sending me this sort of strange chord progression that he'd written, which had this kind of 5-8, like, dum, dum, da, dum, da, dum, dum, da, dum. And it was really, it was really straight like that, like it was straight eighth notes. And I remember him sending me, to that, sending me that and thinking, okay, this there's something really cool here, but I don't quite know what it was. I played with it a bit and then, you know, worked out how it would sit in a shuffle instead. I remember sending it back to him, like maybe an hour or so later, and he's like, how did you get that from that? And we sort of started playing back and forth and getting some ideas out of it. But really was an example of like, here's an idea that is nothing like what I would probably come up with in an intuitive sense. But the moment it's there, we can start like arranging it into that kind of vocabulary that, you know, we've been playing with now for such a long time. Um, it's just you know, fresh information, like fresh, you know, a new color on the canvas, I suppose, to, to, to use that analogy again. Yeah, that must be really nice to have like another guitar Absolutely. player to be able to bounce stuff off of. Since you guys both play in the same instrument, it's like, this is an idea. What do you think of this idea? Well, this is my version of that idea. And then you can sort of just modulate and put stuff together and figure out what works and what you guys enjoy. Yeah, I mean, like, one thing that's probably worth mentioning, like, I, I, I very rarely write on guitar. In fact, like, I try and explicitly really? not write on guitar. Like, I, I, so I, I try and kind of, like, um, like, audiate, 
most things. Like if I can hear a musical idea in my head, then I'm not being tricked by my muscle memory or yeah. you know the, the the sort of conventional shapes and things I understand on my instrument. So um, more and more, I've tried to do that. Um, basically just trying to have guitar as far away from the creative process as possible so that when it comes time to arrange it can be nice and fresh and interesting create riffs where they need to be or, or, or create different parts um adrian's definitely still very much more set on on guitar and on piano a bit as well which is you know it's cool like it means that it comes from a different place yeah. when he's doing it as well yeah definitely yeah, the, that little tidbit oh yeah no that, anyway. that's definitely a very unique uh and unique yeah. approach i've never heard anybody do anything like that so it's really interesting yeah, not everyone's mind works that way. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah uh, you're weird, I'm man. Like, what's your deal? You know? <laughs> I'm deaf in my brain. Um, yeah, not, not really. But I mean, um, I explore ideas very differently because, because for me, um, this is why working with Sam is such an important part of the the creative process for me. Is that like I I work very well with stimulus response. You know, it's like you know I did a lot of improv and, and stuff. You know, again as a kid and all this experience. So it's like. I it feed me an idea and I'll play with it, but like for me to sit there and kind of pen something out from nothing to draw something from the vacuum of of, of silence into here's a, a fucking musical idea is like it's it's really it's really rare for me to be able to do that and so that, that I love the idea of getting an idea and then toying with it and expanding on it and exploring it. That's great. Also, my favorite part of the writing process, I think, is the phrase "That's not your best work." <laughs> There you I go. It's, it's, but I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's <laughs> like it's such a it's it sounds harsh, but like when we're you know throwing ideas back and forth, it's like I'll, I'll throw some lyrics onto something, and and most often I know what scratch and what's a keeper, but I'll I'll sometimes send stuff to Sam, and he's just like you know we'll look at it and go you know like that that's not your best. I don't think that's where it needs to be yet, and I'll reread it and go like yeah no you're right yeah I could easily arc up and go like my precious my precious ideas. <laughs> That, that, that's exactly what I meant about like we're, we're cool with this now. I mean, if we had tried to do that in 2013 or 2014, it would have been a very different story. Fist fight, yeah. Yep. Um, but you know, when it comes to like the, the 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 not your best ideas, I mean, we we do end up scrapping most of what we come up with for this band. Yeah, it, it takes it takes a lot for something to be good enough that we're both convinced it's worth pursuing, and you know. It's the reason that we try and have shorter albums. The reason I say In Contact was a little bit long, in my opinion. I love the idea that every idea on a record is like, that's as good as it can be for us right now. You know? Yeah. It might get better in the future, but for this at this point in time, it's the best we can do. Yeah, that's great. Well, guys, as we're, as we're starting to close down here, I just wanted to just leave this open for you. I just wanted to make sure that you guys, if you, ha if you have anything else that you'd like to say about the album that you'd like your listeners to hear or know anything about i just want to open that door for you if there's anything that you'd like to say about the record or is it i've been told this is my area <laughs> stimulus response <laughs> here you go you know yes and uh <laughs> yeah I, I i think the messaging is really the the important part for me i mean like musically of course we're extremely proud of it and we love it and we know that that's resonated with people see i did it too song titles um uh there you go you know like yeah we know it's resonated with people in that way as well but i feel like particularly now again with what we have all and are going through right now uh, it's important to take songs like Salt or whatever, and that, that's like about overcoming the darkest place that you can possibly be in and finding, you know, the value and strength in yourself and the value and strength in how much stronger you are after overcoming something like that. I think that's probably what I'd like people to take away from Rise Radiant now, you know, that you yeah. know, it's, we're, we're getting through it and we will be better for it in the end. Absolutely. I also love the from Salt to Resonate lyrically, coming from that dark place and then coming into, into Resonate, which is just kind of like, did it give me room to resonate right did it give me room to breathe and uh and i love the the mm. flow of that um i'm sure you yeah. did that on purpose i i i i really i really like the 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 tempest lyric there's there's no saints save for the strength to stand yeah despite its extremely man, cheesy that's, use that's really of uh, elegant, of so. alliteration as it's as its base tool um no i i love that one as well and again i think the tempest sort of sums up you know comes out kicks the door in and says like this is what this album has to say as well is that like you can do it you know you don't need the outside help like this is this is all us we've got it you know yeah yeah well yeah. thank you guys for coming on the show I, despite all of the technical difficulties that we've <laughs> suffered from during this entire process i really appreciate you guys sticking with us and i have to say shoot. we have a uh and i'm just gonna be an open book about all this i'm anything. just shoot it's we, gonna we've be, had you know it's ridiculous difficulties shoot we've had it but we've made it we've made it through and uh because what are they gonna do a, fire uh, me again i'll just 
I gotta. <laughs> I gotta tell you guys this. This is just a funny little tidbit before we close down. But you know, we have a Discord server, a chat server for a bunch of listeners of of the show and fans of progressive rock, and uh, a lot of the a lot of the people who are in our Discord are fans of of this album. And uh, and in fact, that is one of the reasons why we pursued having you guys in the show is because we were hounded by people in our discord asking us for us to do this record and actually cover it um they didn't expect us to have an interview with this they were or with you guys they just wanted us to oh, nice. uh, talk about the record very much uh, which is which is great so this is gonna be a really great treat for them but also on top of that there is this ongoing joke that's within our server about the album and uh because people were wanting to push for it everybody was like we we want we want this and instead of calling it we want rise radiant they were calling it we want deer butt <laughs> that was that was the campaign and oh, so no. literally there's we have like built-in emojis now within the discord server of just the deer <laughs> just chasing towards butt. the mountains at that point um, uh, and uh so I, yeah. I have to admit that we we did have moments when we were designing the cover of that album where it's like should the subject of this image really be the butt of a deer <laughs> It's it's that episode of Bob's Burgers with the horse anus and like all the different like his his sister in law has all these like all she draws are just like the butts of animals. Amazing. It's no, I, I'll, I, so I accept anyway. that. I accept that hashtag. I I throw myself right behind that campaign. We're with you. Uh, give us dear butt. We want dear butt. Give us dear butt. So give us dear. Yeah, butt. there was the man. We had a manifest like a manifesto and everything for this thing, man. It was crazy. So. We there you go. You well, got we was, a lot of time. There you go, fans of the show. You've got Deer Butt. They're, they're behind Deer, Deer Butt. Deer Butt is official now. That's now canon. You can take you that. It is canon. Yeah. It is canon. It is canon. That's fantastic. Well, we would like to thank everybody for listening to our podcast. These are our prog notes for Rise Radiant. If you enjoyed the episode, learn something new from the episode. Like myself, please subscribe and share. Conversation does not have to stop here, though. You can become a special prog notes patron at patreon.com slash prognets and you will get all sorts of access to extra benefits outside of our monthly episodes and also come join our discord server obviously we're talking about how much fun it is with our dear butt which is just a chat server for all prog rock fans and fans of the show and you can also follow us on instagram and or facebook all of the links are in this episode's description thank you jim and sam for joining us today rise radiant is Yay. out today and you can buy it anywhere of course it's it's been out for i guess a year almost a That's year it's april 17th yeah. today <laughs> yeah may 20th so almost almost a year from, uh, from the time that we were recording this mm. yeah so uh drew before we close what's the next record that we're checking out on the show next episode we'll be reviewing the world is loud by adam nitty and we'll get a chance to talk with him um i think he'll add a really interesting perspective i think we're gonna we're gonna kind of put our foot in the door of jazz fusion as well just kind of talk about that a little bit because he'll, he'll have such an awesome perspective on that and kind of how it relates to progressive rock so uh, this will be the last of our little stint of interviews that we've done for the past couple of episodes. We, we hope that you all have enjoyed them. We'll be returning to our more normal format with just Destiny and me discussing the albums, but I'm sure that we'll do more interviews here and there in the future. All that said, we're very much looking forward to talking with Adam Nitty. Great. Awesome. Once again, thank you, Jim and Sam. Round of applause. We'll, we'll, we'll cue that in right here. Probably. Thanks yeah, for having yeah. us, guys. Perfect. Thank you guys so it's much. Been a pleasure. Wonderful. Join us next time as we discover the past, present, and future of Prog Rock. We'll see you guys on Discord. Thank you.